Golight presents the Talking Bollocks Podcast. Here we go, episode 40, Talking Bollocks Podcast. It's me, CLB. It's me, Teddy Flower. And today we're joined by... Wayne Hart. Wayne, how are you? Good, good, good. Thanks for coming in to talk to us. Thanks for the invite. No problem. Right, this week we're jumping straight into the jingles. You get everything boxed off and out of the way, right? Years ago, did you ever play the game where four people got a letter, four people got a letter, and you have to get the letter out of them by killing them? No. No? Right, well anyways, <laughs> we called the Bash the Letter years ago, yeah? And never played Bash the Letter? Never played Never even heard of it? Bash the Bishop. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> you, you have to chase our mates and batter them until they tell you something. No, we didn't tell us anything, we just chased them and bathed them. We used to call it bay chasing. <laughs> but anyways, IRA bait 69%, Bash the Letter 31%. I'm just fuming over that. Yeah. I can't believe you had Mick Conlon on last week and we had to say to him, do you call it IRA Baines? <laughs> so, that was a bit of an awkward one. It was. Gangsters. <laughs> look, we're getting away with it. And then, what would you rather, Nike or Adidas, Wayne? Oh, Nike all the way. Yeah, yeah. same as myself. Same myself. as myself. People text were saying, uh, anyone that says Nike hasn't got any Yeezys, so I've played in four or five pairs of Yeezys and I still bleed and pick Nike all day. Yeah, 100%. Nike, 87%. Adidas, 13%. Yeah. Uh, right, so Go this on. week, you haven't got one for this week, yeah? No, I again. So will you saw me? Yeah, send me some good zingers. There's right. nothing left. I have one. Right, Wayne, do you know when uh, years ago when you're on a push bike? And you're giving your mate a lift on the back. What do you call that? A backer. A backer, yeah. 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 He's one of the boys. One of the boys, yeah. There's only four robbery on a bleeding BMX. <laughs> Someone Shot, on the stunt. Shotgun. Sorry to the, to the thing. Sauna, 15 years of age, yeah. <laughs> did, did, did you really? Yeah, really? mate on the back, yeah. <laughs> I meant to be in there, but I've been bollocks laughing. sliding around on a BMX or a shotgun. <laughs> right, well, there's people texting us saying they call it a jant. That's on the back of a truck. You used to call that a jant. No, that's scunting. Scunting as well, yeah. Yeah, I would have said scunting for that one as well. Yeah, there's a good thing there, isn't it? Oh, there you are. So if you jump on the back of a yoke, what's it? A jant or a scut? You hang on to the back of the bleeding, the truck or the bus or something. It's called scunting. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really rob it. You know, somewhere on a BMX. Oh, you didn't? You wanker, you met the Mandalorian with that little story. Right, so this week, is it called a backer or a jant? Yeah. Or a scut? And a, a jant. But Gardner, there's going to be a load of people text me, what the fuck is a scut? <laughs> well, you see people scutting on the back of the Lewis and all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we used to do a cabaret in the dart. Hanging on to the back of the dart? Yeah. Fuck off. On to the back of the dart. I don't believe him. I'm not going to believe him. I swear to God, we used to do in the cabaret in the back of the dart or in between. Would you not just jump onto the dart instead of hanging onto the back of it? What's the fun in that when you're a kid? <laughs> well, you can be bunking onto the dart. That's I'm the not fun. advocating that kids go out and jump the back of the dart. You know, yeah, I was going to say, don't try you know that. <laughs> Do you know don't what I mean? Don't try this at home. But yeah, Zingers boxed off. Zingers right. out by next week. Calvin. Yeah, I want to talk about something. Yeah. Fuck mail. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wearing on that. Yeah. Fuck mail. That's Fuck all I have mail. to say. We got a load of stick off people. Text was giving us grief and all. The whole lot of Ireland was fucking delighted when Dublin got bet by Mayo there a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And now look what's that happening. The usual scenario Mayo lost in the final. You know what I mean? Talk about the course. What's it's this a guarantee course? in life Mayo losing all Ireland final. 100%. So you know the course. I think Mayo just got spread too thin. 
Yeah. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Wrap this podcast up. <laughs> no, but you know the course. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's aware of the course. So it's it'll be it was seventy years ago. It was in nineteen fifty one, the last time they won their all Ireland. Uh supposedly the they were celebrating on the way home. They overtook a funeral procession, didn't show any respect, and the priest coursed them all that they won't win another all Ireland until every member of that team does. So there's only two of them left. And how many finals they had to lose in the last, say, 10 years? Having a clue. Four or five. Allows, yeah. Fucking cults, he's texting me and all, like, oh, go back to Castle Bar, will you get over it? Like, what were y'all like? <laughs> we were out Saturday night and uh, <clears throat> we walked outside and some board walked towards me in a Mayo jersey and I goes, sorry, love, uh, what's going on with that match? And my God. It's all my, she was She nearly took the head off my shoulders. <laughs> I was like, all right, love, calm down there, you know what Relax I mean? Relax there, big fella. But that's, that's what I'm saying. So, fuck Mayo. I'm going to move on from that. I'm that. Yeah, fuck me. Oh, come on. Yeah, uh, another suggestion we had was, uh, you watch that new... Pro- the table, will you? Sorry, yeah. sorry. <laughs> we actually have to say to every guest every week to not tap the table and I had to say it to Wayne there before we start recording and there's me tapping the fucking table. But uh, that new program started last night. Ken, you didn't watch it, Terrence? Mm-mm. No. No, no not in any of that show. Love, hate was little. Love, hate was... Great, but uh, see, oh, it was it was still a bit much, like you know what I mean. And then all oh, this new show, it's just another age of it, you know what I mean. So mm. I'm just not really into. I think what do you think about the bollocks? Only started. <clears throat> um, the only reason why I kind of watched it was because of it's kind of relevant to what's going on in society today, like you know. Um, so we all know it's just basically believing Sunday world and the, the two families that are feuding at the moment. That's that's what's well, that's on, yeah, it? that's the premise on it, but. I watched it, don't think it's very uh, accurate to the times. Uh, these no. these people are supposed to be drug dealers in Dublin. There's not a blade of a skin fade or kind of the goose jacket. <laughs> you know what I mean? The fella has a man bone and a beard. He's supposed to be telling me he's selling over. Yeah. I don't know. And the accents and all. And the accents and the way they want, like, go down and food the snakes. All right, what? What's all that about? Like, yeah. why do they all talk? Like, that's not a Dublin accent. Yeah, I hate all that shit. I, do. I hate really all them programs. Yeah. I know what I hate as well. Into it. What's it called? Inside, Inside the K. Is that what it's called? Inside the Inside, K, yeah. See, that, that's the biggest load of bollocks I've ever seen in my life. How, how are they getting away with doing that? Like, where's the entertainment value in what they're doing there? There's a difference between entertainment value because people it, do enjoy it. I think but there's, there's more to it as well that it's, at the, it's highlighting and castigating certain areas. Yeah, it, that's exactly it's, what it's, it's doing. It's, it's putting the perspective out there that all those districts, so it's what's Ballymoon, Fingless, Cool, or uh, Blanche, Cabra. Yeah. Um, that these areas are, are a set way. Yeah. Where yeah. we all know, like, I lived in Fingers and the road I lived on, they used to call it Balaclava Drive. Mm. So <clears throat> one end of it was very criminal. The other end was very quiet. So you have pockets in these areas, you know, you mm. go around the corner and you, you know, go four roads and there'll be no hassle, no trouble, no gangs out. Yeah. And then you come into a field a bit further down and there's loads there. So you have pockets in these areas, but I think the key puts the suggestion the perspective out there that all these areas there's bad people in all 100%. these areas it's like what I say about if you look at Talla there's 100,000 people in Talla the population of Limerick you know and it always gets a bad rap if you look at the prison system the criminal justice system there's probably five, six thousand, ten thousand involved from Talla over the years like so that means there's, there's 90,000 people in, in Talla that aren't in trouble mm-hmm. or on drugs living yeah. you know pro-social lives but there's this perception that's drawn in the media and then in these things that are done for entertainment value that's it's, not entertainment yeah, value it's like fucking uh, gangland I'd love to go into a taxi and say bring me to gangland because you would be fucking driving around all day yeah. where's gangland yeah yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that, that that was my problem because I went onto Twitter then I had great crack last night looking at the tweets about that Ken 
and people are like, oh, it's a dramatising what's actually going on. And I was thinking, if someone, say, from outside of Dublin or even from outside of Ireland was watching that and thinking, like, that's what's going on in Dublin, like, do you know what I mean? No one's going to come near this place. Well, if you look at who's produced it, it's an American company. Yeah, AMC. Is it, yeah? AMC yeah. produced it, yeah. The yeah. same people that produced The Walking Dead and people are like, if this was based in America, it'd be, you'd be calling out for it to win awards. With that kind of acting and, look, it's not it's not true to what's happening <clears throat> and I just don't agree with it and I, I agree with what you're saying where I watched that Inside the K and I remember one of the guys was on it and she was like, you never know who you're going to meet and my favourite type of people to deal with are head cases and all. So what you're saying, that everyone you deal with is going to be a head case. Oh, sh- oh, 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 I'd love to say something bad there. I swear to God, shut your bleeding mouth. <laughs> See all that bollocks, like, because sh- there's actually coppers out there that I like that. Not all coppers are bad, we say this all the time, yeah. but there is Egypt's mm. like that. Shut up, you dope, you, do you know what I mean? Well, tell me where, where there isn't. Do you know what I mean? You're going to yeah. get, uh, when you're walking, you're yeah. going to, well, I've come across guards that, should have been, say, youth workers yeah. or social workers. I've come across social workers that should have been fucking prison officers. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So not everyone is suited to the job they actually do. Yeah, definitely, you know? yeah. Um, and it's like going down the road. If 10 houses on the road, there could be four pricks living in four houses and do the six are all right. So you could, it's, it's a society. If you went around the bus in the mornings, yeah. you know, with the pick out people, you could get 10 that are fucking cranky. Do that are happy go lucky and yeah. you know someone depressed so yeah. it's across yeah. the board like that's yeah. what I just don't believe in the entertainment value yeah. part when you're messing with someone's real life when it's yeah. actual real life just go out and do your job fuck the cameras fuck all this shit this is someone's real life that you're bleeding going out and recording they went and picked all the good looking guys as well didn't they is I that, haven't is watched that what you now. call them? I haven't watched <laughs> them now, but that's that you'd see right. on, on social media you know what I mean they're all yeah, good looking yeah. guys and all I was just trying to fucking replicate Miami voice or something. <laughs> I don't know. I think, uh, I think the standard for good looking must have dropped a bit there, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, and then we had another message as well. So someone says, what is that to do in Ireland if you're trying to stay off the drink? So I actually thought about this and I was like, do you know what? I don't really go about my life and think, do you know what? I can do this because I don't drink and I can't do that because I don't drink. But I think mm. if you're trying to stay off the drink, the best thing for you is get involved in fitness. Because I, I actually had a good think about this. I said, get, get involved in fitness because I don't think you can be on the drink all the time and involved in fitness and committed to a goal. So, like, if you are involved in running or you were on, like, a program for, like, in the gym, you know, people do six-week programs. Mm. I don't think if you're drinking. I had this conversation yesterday when the boys were called the king. I only had this exact conversation yesterday where I... That's that was one of the main things that kept me off the drink. But subconsciously, I didn't do it on purpose. I didn't go. I'm gonna start training hard yeah. to stay off the drink. But I realised when I was off the drink, I was training harder. But I and think I was you can't do both together. They don't go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can't train hard. You can go out and yeah. do a little bit and then believe whatever. But I mean, like train and things like that. And then, like we said in the Brian Penny episode, like gratitude. Like it, it just being. Like on the weekends, going out for a swim with the boys, having a coffee and just realising, look, mm. I'm usually out in a gaff at this time, I'm usually in bits at this time and then whatever, you know what I mean? All that type of thing will keep you up. But another thing I thought about as well is put yourself in the situation where you would drink and mm. get comfortable with that. Well, that's what... That if was the boys yeah. are going out to watch a match in the pub, go and watch a match in the pub and don't drink. Because yeah. if you can't get comfortable with that, you'll never be comfortable not drinking. Yeah. It also take... depends on the level of drinking you're talking about and why you're giving up drinking. Are you, like, are you giving up drinking for the sake of giving up drinking and having a healthy No, drink? because you have a problem with it. Well, then I wouldn't be telling people to go sit and eat in pub. No, yeah. I would. <laughs> I would mean, to an extent. Like if, for example, we were at a christening the weekend and if you're trying to stay off the drink, then you miss that christening. 
You know what I mean? So if that's you, the case. You can never go to a party and yeah, it's a well, choice, isn't it? The but way, I think by doing put that, in a position like if I can't swim, I'm not going to stand on the edge of a fucking cliff. Or but you're no, in but the shallow you, end. Yeah, and you know you're you're still not going to stand on a cliff. But fucking down a galway on a windy day, like you know. So would your advice be to stay away from every party until you're writing yourself or you 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 you've looked at why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I agree with you there. What's your triggers? Yeah, so what's your trigger? I'm not going to pull if a party is my trigger. I'm not going to. I'm not going to go to the party. But I think after a period of time, you will get. Depends. Not everyone's the same, like you know. But I think then I think boy. By changing your life that much and going, I can never go near a pub again, or I can never deal, go to another party again. That law playing them, you end yeah. up just going back to the so if, you sit, if you sit in a bus out of terminus, what, what, what eventually is going to happen? What do you mean? What's going to happen if you're sitting on a bus out of terminus? The bus is going to fucking pull off with you on it, isn't it? Mm. Sitting in a hairdresser long enough, you're going to get a haircut. haircut yeah. That's, so you're saying if you sit in a pub long enough, you'll have a drink? I, I disagree. Yeah. If you're dealing with an addiction issue, yeah. If you're dealing with addiction and your addiction is alcohol, why would you be sitting in a pub? Because I think you need to become familiar and get comfortable, comfortable with the Because you, you're, that's always going to be on your mind that if I go in there, I'm going to drink. And then there's going to be a time in your life Stand where you're going to have to face that. You're going to have to face the music or you're going to fall off the bandwagon, I think. Now you're look, there's keep different, there's different ways, of course. Look, that, that way would work for some people. It would work for some people. I'm comfortable now where when I, when I got shot, I couldn't get out of pub like that for about three months. Or There was gaff parties everywhere when I was shot, and I was always in gaff parties and they were all over the place. And then I was like, I'm staying away. Now I stayed away now for months. And then I just got comfortable with it. And then I was sitting around the boys all drinking, doing whatever they wanted to do. And I still have the buzz, no problem, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But took a period of time away, got comfortable. And now I'm comfortable with the uncomfortable. Sitting around drinking all the time, no problem. Another thing I want to call out as well is, if you're out with your mates and you're watching the match and one of them says they're not drinking, don't fucking question it. If someone yeah. says they don't want to have a drink, right, leave and we move on. Yeah. There shouldn't be this pressure. Why are you not drinking? Ah, oh, you're a pussy, you're this, you're that. They don't want to drink. Don't be pressing them into it. Because it's normal in Irish society. I've had it with family members for years, for the first few years. If I, she can have one, won't you? Yeah. She says, yeah, I'll have one. I'll be up down bleeding coyote ugly on the, on the, on the fucking the bar <laughs> yeah. in 10 minutes' time. I'll be running down the road with my nip. Yeah. Oh, you know I can't one. One is too many. A thousand is never enough. Yeah. Don't just keep exactly. going. Yeah. I, 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 I know I'm an addict. Mm. I know I suffer with the disease of addiction. Mm. I haven't used drugs in a long, 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 long time. But... I don't put myself in positions where I'm open to it. You know, I'm not going to walk across a firing range, hope that everyone that's shooting at the targets has a good shot and will only hit the targets. So would There's a you, chance I could get fucking hit. Would, so you talking about your personal experience here when yeah. you're saying about, so would you never go to a party again? No, we do go to parties now. So you got comfortable with it eventually, yeah. So take yeah. a period of time away. That's, that's what I'd be saying. I don't but I'm, I'm double digits in recovery. In ter- what? So over ten years. Oh right, 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 right. Yeah. And, but, and how long did it take you? I've looked at my underlying issues. I've yeah. had the outside mm. help. I go to a twelve-step fellowship. Yeah. I've looked at myself. I know my triggers. I know my defects of character. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. You know, I know and dealt with all the guilt and the shame. I've taken ownership of what's mine. I've also let go of the stuff from my youth that wasn't mine that I used off. Mm. So until I got to that place and my experience is with people I sponsor and people come through the door behind me and that have gone before me, that's that's the process. Mm. You know what I mean? There's a lot more to just staying off drink and staying out of a party. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. How do you deal with the, the, the mental aspect, but the guilt and the shame, the baggage you've left behind, the carnage you've fucking caused? Yeah. You know, if you don't deal with that stuff, 
we didn't get closure till 2012 with something that went on me in my young life like you know what i mean mm. um i used off that stuff for years give mm. me the cell give me give me the right to use because i thought there was no other solution and that Look, was the insanity all that way yeah. yeah we're gonna get into your story now and uh fill people in yeah. look, that's all the suggestions boxed off I just think touching back on that before we go is look at what Wayne is saying is right look into why you're knocking the drink on the head is it a lifestyle change you just want to be healthier you're not enjoying it look into that if it's something as small as that grand yeah, and for people out there listening as well if your mates are looking into knocking the drink on the head don't be pressing them into it you know what I mean some people are not comfortable being sober around drunk people some people are not comfortable being drunk around sober people yeah. we'll get there you know, I always say, if you ask me to go to the pub on a Monday, I don't ask you, why be going on a Monday? But if I say I'm not going to the pub on a Friday, you always ask me, why am I not going to the pub on a Friday? And that's a problem we have in Ireland that I think we're slowly getting around to. A lot more people are becoming uh, comfortable being sober in social settings. Definitely. And it's only when you go, go across, look at the bleeding European countries, they look at Ireland and say, what's the story with them? Yeah. Constantly fucking drinking. <laughs> and another thing I wanted to address, drinkers. I heard this on the radio the other day and I was shocked. In Ireland, we have the second highest obesity rate in the EU. So if somebody wants to make a lifestyle change and they're looking to get into fitness and you can do something to encourage them, encourage them because that is an alarming statistic to have. Yeah, it is, yeah. Even with that. drinking, I think uh, for females, I think we're second or third highest in, in the world as well. In the world, like, Female fuck. Female drinkers. Are... Fucking hell, that's some stuff. So we need to start kind of turning this dial and little things can help encouragement you know, you see people saying I'm X amount of days sober, encourage it. You know, don't be saying, well, you're counting days. Let them count days because that's a milestone. That's a, a milestone. That's a goal for people. You know, people have to start small and then you build on it. And before you know, that seven days turns into 30, turns into 365. Love that. The calm fella, they hit the nail on their head. Well, look at me. Look, I'm fucking, I'm, I'm sick of getting questioned about it. You know, I get questioned about it all the time and... I don't. I don't get why people question because, it as well. I think that's because because you, you never drank. So well, I, 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 I've like, dabbled in it. Yeah, I've dabbled in it. Yeah. But I learned long ago this is not for me. Yeah, and that's a past life to me. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's only yeah. a handful of people have seen me drunk in my life. Yeah, and I'm more, I know more people now that I haven't, and I just yeah. want to keep it that way. You just you need good friends. Well, mm. and my friends are so supportive. Do you know what I mean? Like all my friends. Like if I said to one of the boys. And if they're all out drinking, sniffing and whatever, and I said, give us one of them, they give me a dig in the head. Do you know yeah. what I mean? You're really a stupid country or off and whatever. And that's, you need that good company in your life. You know what I mean? You realise who's there for you when you do get sober and things like that. And you're not just sitting around the same people who sit with you and sniff all night and pour your heart out, but won't talk to you from Monday to Friday. But yeah. they'll talk to you all weekend. Do you know what I mean? So you'll realise who's there for you. Look, we had like a great that. time the weekend. Great time with the little night. Run the muck down a floorboard, left them foulies. <laughs> Tore the places on the brilliant night. I actually have to drop back up there and get my voice off. Them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it was a great night. Um, Roy, that's that. Yeah. Wayne, into the big fella now. Into the hot seat now, Wayne. So, so what's your name? Where'd you come from, fellas? You tell us a bit about yourself. So my name is Wayne Hart. Um, I was born in the northeast inner city. Family were all from from um, Summerhill, Ballybock. Lived there. I was about four years of age, um, and then we moved out to the Kewlock and Barrick area. Um, but I went to school in town. I went to the North Strand Tech and all. You know, um, I played for Tools, <clears throat> playing for them on and off in between prison sentences and all. I was forty and was managing there. We were Tools there a couple of years ago, and it just happened that they moved out to where we moved out to years later. So. Um, 
Yeah, but it's it's that old. You can take the the boy out of town, but you can't take town out of the boy. And then when I was eighteen, I moved back into town myself. So some people will tell you I'm from town. Others will tell you I'm from Kulak. Others will say I'm from Kabarik. Because I live in the border of Kulak and Barrick, where, yeah, where, where yeah, I grew yeah, up, yeah. you know. Um, so I probably. <clears throat> 20 odd years in town and 20 odd years everyone says that to me everyone says <laughs> that what to was me. life like growing up <clears throat> it was alright like hit the age of probably 6 or 7 you know um, I went through a couple of years of systematic abuse you know uh, sexual abuse so that didn't help you know what I mean um, so you know, when you're, you're six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten years of age, you can't you can't fucking regulate your emotions. You don't know what's bleeding going on with you, like you know. Um, not to get too descriptive, but when something's happening, you uh, at that age, like uh, and what was going on, you're not understanding it and all. And then you know, for years, you're confused with your sexuality. You're trying to find yourself. You know what I mean? You haven't even hit puberty at this stage. You know, um, <clears throat> got very angry and aggressive. You know, would have been threats made that if we didn't retract what I was saying, you know, because we got in touch with the police and uh, we made a statement, I think it was nine or ten years of age at that stage, ten I think it was, 1980, and it's kind of just swept under the carpet. You Did know? you come out to a family member that this was happening? What happened was, a few of us were talking and it came out and... I don't know if someone heard us or what the story was, or one of the kids went back and told their, their mothers. And then a guard arrived at the house one day, a detective, you know what I mean, to question me. And uh, that's when it all kind of came out. So there was six was in the area that kind of came out about it. Three took their own life suicide because of it. I don't know, the other two lads, they moved out of the area as well. I don't know where, where they're at in life, if they're even alive. And I ended up very angry, aggressive, criminal tendencies, um, wanting to lash out at society and institutions, and ended up then, <clears throat> years of addiction, you know. Um, I get emotional when I think about it, because sometimes I think, uh, I grow up lightly, you know. Three of my friends are dead, took their lives. You know, that's the reality of it, of what went on. And then <clears throat> I couldn't walk down certain roads in my, in, my, in, my, in my area, even coming from school. It was a kind of straight run. I couldn't go down because there was lay people at the church, you know, the people that collected money for the church and done stuff for the church. You know, they used to run me off the road. And it's the Catholic church. It's so much power back then, you know. Um, people didn't believe you and all this kind of stuff. People didn't want to <clears throat> believe you. Everyone knew what was kind of going on. There was yeah. people there that knew what was going on, but we were afraid to speak up, like, you know what I mean? Um, when you said the sexual abuse, mean, was it numerous occasions? Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Over, over a period of time, over a period of years. But one of the abusers, like, was heavily involved in the school. So we'd go on school trips. Was, he was involved in the U Club. So when we went on U Club trips, he was there. They used to run swimming classes six-week swimming classes in the school, and he was on all those swimming classes, Russ and all. The same person had been moved from two other areas previous, so they knew what was going on. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> that was brought to light, so then you have the biggest, I mean, the family institution, the biggest institutions outside of the family, the education system, the criminal justice system, and the Catholic Church, and the three of them are hiding it, sweeping her under the carpet allowing it go on 
Oh, 10 years of age. How do you deal with that? I, I, I did not have to deal with it, you know. Um, so I started getting into kind of deviant behaviours. I used to go up and I'd burn the priest's shed or smash his windows. I'd go up and I'd smash the windows in the school. We'd seen the guards going down the road. I'd throw stuff at them or I'd slag them. Do you know what I mean? Um, so it brought a lot of adverse attention on myself as well, you know. But I didn't understand that at the time. So I remember, like, you, you spoke about the TED Talk. I remember... <clears throat> standing down off the train 15 years of age in London and making a conscious decision no one's ever going to fucking hurt me again mentally, physically, spiritually it just wasn't happening man, woman or child and I just ingrained that into me and it led me down a path that I'm not <coughs> um, you know I'm not uh, <laughs> the stuff I done was bad was wrong you know, and I'm not here to justify it. I'm just giving the context of, of what was behind it. Mm. How I went that path. I didn't wake up one day and say, I want to be a fucking monster. I want to be an arms robber. I want to be a drug dealer. I want to be a heroin addict. I want to be a survivor of sexual abuse. Sexual abuse came first. The other stuff came next. So there was no services in place. People didn't believe me. Now, we didn't get closure on that until 2012. Okay. I finally got believed. So you know, from 1980... 2012, so over 32 years, I had this in my head and I was fighting the state, the education system, the Catholic Church and the criminal justice system. You know, um, but I got closure. But so many people, and then he died in prison, so there's so many people that didn't get closure. And I always maintained there was about 17 or 18 was in the area. This had happened to. Transport when it all came out was, it was up in the 40s. Can you know, um, savage stuff like, you know what I mean, that that was lecker one, you know, um, thank God society today is a, <laughs> is a bit different, you know what I mean, there's more supports and services out there and I mean you have tools and you have people, you know, slating tools and all, but at least if you come to me and tell me you're after being abused, there's an agency or somewhere I can go, I can, I can send you to, I can put a report into, you know what I mean, um, and that, that's important, do you know what I mean, today, because I hadn't got them services, the training wasn't there. Turned out then when I was in college, if to, uh, I'm highly dyslexic. So getting thrown out of class now because you weren't understanding stuff and all, I left school with the reading and writing ability of 12, 13 year old. You know, so no education attainment, you know, I had no healthy relationship with sex. So I used and abused women for years, taught that this was the way it happened because of, of the experience I'd had. Then I struggled with my sexuality and then it was like, I should go out and I'll be with every girl I can possibly be with because I'm not gay or this, that and you know, and that's not, you know, a castigation of people that are gay. It was just, I was struggling with what had gone on, you know what I mean? It was nothing to do with gay. He was a paedophile, <laughs> or paedophiles, you know what I mean? Um, and to make that distinction that because people are gay, I mean, that pedophiles, like, you know what I mean? Pedophiles are, are sick people, you know? Um, so, you know, struggling with all that, growing up, and then you're on the streets of London, 15 years of age, and the IRA, you're talking about IRA baiting, IRA are bombing the place left, right, and centre. I'm four foot 11, 15 years of age. A scouser on the train hands me a scalpel. I remember going into the toilet, so, holy fuck, why am I have to let myself in, boy? He's like, you really? You're Irish, four foot 11, you're going to live in the streets of London, he said, he said, uh, Gave me a scalpel. That fear kicked in. Nothing I done was nothing to do with that. I was a hard man. It was fear. I was terrified. I'm going to hurt you before you hurt me. Because I realised that 
<clears throat> violence became a statement of intent. And when I had a weapon, it was an extension of me. You know, um, and I utilized it. It was a survival mechanism, you know. But as I said, like in the TED Talk, at what point did I cross over from being a victim to a monster? Mm. You know, and it was that moment, stepping down off that train, that fear gripped me. I was like, no, no one's ever going to hurt me again, you know. So what happened when you left school at 14 and you moved Four, to London? 15. And you moved to London then? Yeah, I'd done a runner to London. <laughs> Of the BMX. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, I've done a, done, a, done a runner to London. Um, well, you're actually running from something? Yeah, something over credit union in the local area. So I, 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 went, on, I went on my toes and it was the 15th of October, the, the night of my sister's birthday. And uh, so I legged it to, to London. So I was over there for a few weeks. Just, all right. And, and so you come back to... Dublin then? Yeah, um, police and people were looking for me and someone had made contact with one of the homeless hostels and that over there. Obviously, they were a bit more advanced than, than we, we were at the time. Like, And someone said, yeah, what are you saying? And such and such. And someone got in touch with me and said, your dad and your uncles had to be on looking for you and all. So I had to end up going up to, um, oh, where was it? the Norwich Centre anyway, I can't remember where it was and I went up there and they had to get my uncle to pay the money on this side for me to, in the Garda station to get me home, do you know what I mean? It was, it was just, just crazy stuff, like, you know what I mean? Um, imagine like a 15 year old ending up in the streets of London today. Mm. You know? Crazy. Yeah. It's a mad old time, <clears throat> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So what's happening after all that then? So I came back and... I had that whole, like, not feeling comfortable in school, being terrified in school, right? So having all them aces, all that, you know, adverse childhood yeah. experiences, and not feeling safe. So I'm not feeling safe around, you know, the Catholic Church. Everyone in the area, you know, are all, they're all Catholics. We're in a Catholic area. We're in, we're in a Catholic society, you know. It's Ireland, it's, you know, they're all Catholics. Half them are working for the church or, you know, doing stuff with the church. The church is involved in the youth centres, it's involved in the school, right? Didn't feel safe in any of them places. And then the guards stood over and, and hit it and brushed it under the carpet, like, you know what I mean? So I didn't feel safe for any of them. So I needed to find safety. So I started hanging around with the older lads, the bigger lads, you know what I mean, that were a few years older than me and all. Um, so it was that kind of, that whole thing of um, connection. You know, being part of finding my family type of thing, mm. you know, um, safety, you know. So I ended up in, in a Republican movement as well, you know. Um, then kind of <coughs> formed my own kind of crew as I got a bit older, you know. When I hit 17, 18 years of age, I started doing other things and like that because of the fear and not wanting anyone above me. I had to run it, I had to lead it, you know what I mean? And I was saving that knowledge and it was like, they were working for me, you know, they they, they were my crew, like, you know, um, but all bullshit, you know what I mean? Like, just just looking for identity and safety. You had a problem with authority, so you had to become the authority. Big time, big time. It's Catholic Church skill. Yeah. What, 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 what are children's first... You know, experiences of authority apart from their parents, yeah, their teacher. teachers and coppers, yeah, <laughs> coppers, yeah. priests, you mm. know, especially back then, you know what I mean. And you probably would have put the priest first back 
back then. Back then, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, <coughs> so, and look, this is not a, not a slate session of the Catholic Church. They've done, done good stuff over the years and there's good priests out there. It's like we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Just because you live in a road where 10 people are doing whatever, there's 30 other people on that road. That, yeah, definitely, yeah. That, yeah, you can't paint them all like, with the same brush, no, yeah. yeah. No. It's <coughs> obvious what you're getting at there when yeah. you're saying that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, uh, like, say, 17, 18... You have your own little gang and all this going on, fillers in there, what's going on there? So, just, as I said, no education attainment. I couldn't really read or write, like, you know what I mean? Um, so, it was like, I had to farm my own economy, you know? Um, so, <clears throat> I looked around, and I was fairly clever. Everyone always said that if I went through college or done this, that, I, you know, I could have been into import and export. I kind of did get into the import and export, but <laughs> the, not, not, not legal stuff, like, you know what I mean? So I kind of seen a niche. So you, if you put it in context, it's 1980. People talk about the last recession. I'd be laughing at just what fucking recession? That wasn't a recession. In 1980s, you needed to leave and say to pack shelves and duns. My father had three jobs just to put food on the table and get us through the week. That was a recession, you know, um, even collecting, he was doing stuff that people wouldn't do. There used to be movies, television rentals, right? And he used to rent your, 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 uh, <coughs> telly. No, the bleeding, yeah, the tellies, but the, the camera action fucking DVDs, what do they call them back then? Not a DVD player, what were they? VCR. Yeah, right, video recorder, yeah. right? <laughs> One of them, right? And like, the, the bleeding that size and all, and uh, bleeding hammer to push the buttons down them. My dad used to collect them in Ballymun and Fingers where no one had collected the rent for, for movies, like, you know what I mean? So even the jobs that they'd done, it was like two fucking pound of telly or something, you know, but people wouldn't do them. So you needed a certain character of person to, to do that type of work and all, you know? Um, so there was no real money. So people made ends me. So... I was like, right, so that means people want to get stuff cheap, don't they? So I'd go down that route of breaking into factories and stuff. It wasn't into like houses around because I didn't want to rob from people that hadn't got. Do you know what I mean? So I was never into anything like that, you know what I mean? Um, I kind of started high end with me, me criminality, like, you know. Um, so four sentence I got was for robbing um, a place in Cherry Street. Uh, all, all its radios and you know, for the for the cars and baby seats and windows, mirrors and all sorts. Um, that was the four sentence I got. But uh, how long did you get for that? <clears throat> six months. All the way. Uh, seventeen. It's kind of old enough to get your first conviction, isn't it? Like, yeah. yeah. Considering, like, I don't want to jump ahead. Considering how many you ended up with, seventeen is late enough to get your first one. Yeah. Usually, you hear people that will oh, have a bleeding. Well, it wouldn't have been before one, but it was before sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It was before sentence. No, actually, I was 18. I was 18 and get me four sentence. Um, yeah, six months. I was 18 and get me four sentence. I went to Pats. But, um, but like that, so I, I kind of, it's, it's that whole thing, you know, shoot for the mill, unleash your mission, you'll hit the stars, like, you know what I mean? So I didn't get into the petty stuff, you know what I mean? Um, so I kind of started with, with factories and stuff like that and then got involved with other people that were doing factories and stuff and um don't the name people but you probably know you know what I mean um <clears throat> but people that were were doing factories and high end stuff and cigarettes and all all that kind of stuff and kind of started that kind of way and then you know I got into um so there was a ready made profile of people to buy the stuff. 
you know what I mean? And especially fuel as well. I used to have this thing around going in and filling trolleys full of steaks and all. And you go up the road and there was families in the areas that would have from six kids to 12 and they just they take her all off. Yeah, you know? that's still going. <laughs> I know, we know that. In the pub to yeah, start last yeah. year, and people have been yeah. coming in selling steaks. All the old ones are all over. Yeah. yeah. So we had people that were unemployed. You know what I mean? No education. Time come from broken homes. You'd already made workforce, right? And then you had people that were struggling. So you'd already made clientele. You know what I mean? And we got to a point where we were working to order. Yeah. People would actually come to you and ask you for stuff like you know what I mean. Um, Mad, it was a bit more organised then than it is now. Where mm-hmm. people are just going out and like that, like into pubs and clubs yeah, and trying to pay, yeah, knocking yeah. the flats or like stuff you said, like that. Open a movie, Michelle hit the stars. You don't yeah. understand people like go in and rob a five a bottle of bleeding vodka, <laughs> yeah. a five a nagging, five yeah. fifty. Go in and if you're going to take the grey goose off the shelf, take the goose. I don't bleed and go in and rob. Yeah, we did. We're knocking down on it. We're knocking down and theft. But if you're going to do it, go for the goose. We just robbing the Nikita vodka and all that. So with all that kind of stuff going on. So society is very fluid. So next of all, the whole thing was drink. And we used to jump on the dart, right? And we'd go all the way to Bray. Now, in Bray, back then, the shop used to sell flagons of cider. The counters over here and the flagons of cider over here in the yard, and you have a bunch of head cases coming out in town and Kulak and Kabarik, and you're coming out, and it's just... You get the biggest fella we had, he'd stand at the thing, and I get this, and he's blocking us, and... It's getting wiped. We're all out there with back with backpacks and all. It's yeah. getting wiped. We're drinking on the dark on home and we're selling it and all that kind of stuff. So then hash kind of starts to come into the equation. And people are buying it, you know what I mean? Um, and they used to go into town. The fuckers in town used to rip us off with the deals they gave us, right? But you could only buy no, a deal no, in no. town. The deal in town back then was a tenner. We went in with a deal. That's it, we're getting a deal. There was no longer getting a ten spot. A deal was, was, was 10 euro. So I was like looking at people and uh, I was a bit of an entrepreneur, you know, and I was looking at people, yeah, and I was like, it's easier for, for a few of us to get a fiver, because that, that was our experience. You, you, you'd pick up a fiver, even your ma back then or something, you know, you get a bit of change here, a bit of change there, you'd run to the shop for something or something, and all of a sudden two or three years get together, they had a fiver. It's hard to get the tenner. So we decided to start buying a few ounces of hash and start doing five spots. You know what I mean? Five pound deals, and it just kind of took off from that. Then, do you know what I mean? Um, and I just would pump money back in. Do you know what I mean? To, to what I was doing, and then eventually, you know, a lot of the 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 the, the hash and kula kabarik downdale was was all mine, and started going into town. The family members started selling for me in town and all, and just kind of went up up the scale. Then, you know, um, but made connections in London when I was fifteen. That helped, but didn't help. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I had connections there, and I was able to get what I needed to get at a high level, of, you know, a good quantity, you know, um, high standard of stuff, and a lot cheaper than what people were getting, it, you know, in Ireland at the time. Mm. So like there was <clears throat> the opportunities for that, you know, and then it expanded out to different counties and stuff like that, you know. Mm. So yeah, it just shows like you climbing the ladder, climbing the ladder, climbing the ladder. All that has to come to an end at some stage. Mm. That's why I try and talk to so. me family about like me, me younger cousins and things like that. I try and explain that to them that there's there's no end goal with that. Like it only goes one way or the other. Like there's just 0.01% of people that make it out of that game and are wealthy and, mm. and they can laugh at the bank. Mm. But there's nobody 
ever makes around. No matter how big you get, you think of the dog's bollocks, you think you have this and that. It's gonna, you're going to get locked up, you're going to get killed, something's going to happen. You know what I mean? Nobody gets out of that game. No, people want around thinking they're bleeding Pablo Escobar, you know mm. what I mean? More like Pablo Crossbar. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not fucking happening. Like, I mean, <clears throat> a lot of my mates are either dead, on the run, can't come home, or doing big sentences or life sentences. Mm. I only talked to you on the way <laughs> over and um, we're talking about people who are in that game and how it's a bit similar to what you're saying, that entrepreneurial mindset of you're seeing a niche, you're getting the import, the export, the price, mm. you're seeing the opportunity in the market. Mm. And I was literally, only, literally only had this conversation on the way over. Many people we know that are involved in stuff they shouldn't be involved in, but with a business mindset, yeah. that if they applied it to a business, they'd be fucking booming. Definitely. Yeah. And all you need is a bit... I don't know. Actually, I don't really know what he need. Do you know that? I don't know what he need. Well, I tell you, if you, if you did the likes of the IDA and stuff like that years ago, when when I was going around, like some of the ideas I had were great. Like I remember, I used to go around. I was walking in a place, right, and they used to sell bags of rags, right. And my where my father walked, they used to buy off them as well, and cabries and loads of different places, and loads of printers would buy them, for, and garages for spillages and stuff. So they were just basic bags and it was just rags. Hmm? So we went down to the market one day with my uncle and I got a load of bags, bought a load of bags. And I done up <coughs> a, a, a little uh, flyer in the job. And I printed her off in the job and I printed hundreds of them. And I got me sent me mate and we went around the van delivering out, we'll take all your rags, right? So we used to go down, we get the rags. Now they were getting something like, I think it was £12, like punt for a bag of rags at the time. So I went in then and I was like, I was doing it for £8. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, but you had to go to this place to get them and all, but we were delivering them out. We started robbing a few of the companies. <laughs> Punters, like, you know what I mean? Um, so we always had that skill set, but it was never nurtured. Do you know what I mean? Like, And this is, I'm not saying people shouldn't go through school. I, I'm an, an advocate that people do finish school and, and get out because, as I said, you needed a leaving cert to pack shelves and don'ts. We don't know if that's ever going to happen again. But I hadn't even got a group cert or a junior cert, so I couldn't even pack shelves. I couldn't even, I couldn't even, get, I couldn't even carry the boxes from the van, the fucking don'ts, you know yeah. what I mean? Because I hadn't got that education attainment. But also, we need to acknowledge as a society that education is not the end all and be all. No, that's what I was because, just going to say to you there. Because yeah. people have skill sets. Definitely. And yeah. that's what, I, I can't believe the move away from technical skills. And they used to say, if you went to a technical skill, you were tick, right? But a lot of people I know that went to technical skills, a lot of them have their own businesses now. Mm. You know, whether it's in, you know, steel or metal fabricating or, you know, running their own companies with woodwork. Yeah. Mm. Mate of mine, brother-in-law does his, does his own gig and on serious money and has a crew of people under him but he went they went to technical skills they got they got you know apprenticeships you know so yeah. I'd love to see that coming back because not everyone is academic but yeah, like you, agree, you, do, yeah. you do hear these people who come up with ideas overnight and they wouldn't be educated and next of all they're running a very successful company look at Dyson sitting at home paying his face here over on the floor comes up with a bleeding a, 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 a hoover that'll suck the dirt up. <laughs> You're bleeding mm. billionaire. Yeah. Same with your man who, uh, the fellow who founded IKEA. Yeah. He uh, he was loading his table into his car one night and he couldn't get it, uh, couldn't get it in because of the shape. So we cut the legs off and screwed them back on then later that night. And he's like, you know what, that's a good idea. But you know, even simple things, like I know people out there, if they just opened up a coffee van, yeah. but the, the mindset that they have, they'd have the best coffee van in Dublin. I've done it all. I had a hot dog stand. 
I used to, you probably heard about or read about the hot dog wars, you know, up in Leeson Street. One of my bands was there, was, and I used to have it <coughs> down at festivals and everything. But I also had family that were into uh, t shirts, flag scarves, do all that kind of thing, and programs and all. So we'd get all, buy all that off them, make serious profit on it, even though it's people selling for me. So when we'd go down to a festival, I'd have hot dogs, I'd have hats, scarves, flags, T-shirts, £5 deals and that's it. So there was just always that criminal piece that made a bit more money and, and, and that was the problem, like, because if we push forward now to, like, when I'm 20, 21 years of age, I've two kids and a home and, and a partner, but no education time and I can't get a bleeding job. So it was, like I said, I created my own economy. Mm. You know, and you see it with travellers, the, 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 you know, there's, there's a, a theory out there of the traveller economy. You know, because people won't give them jobs and all. So, you know, the dad brings the, the next fella through, gives him a van and all, and puts him all the tools for cobble locking. And I've worked with, lived with travellers as well, and I've done all that. Do you know what I mean? So I'm not, um, I was never shy of work. I'm getting stuck in. Um, just the ways and means were <laughs> wrong at the time, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And how do you live on, I can't remember, what was 90 something pound back in the day, two children and, and a, a partner. And people didn't sign on together because they wouldn't get the money and you're, you're losing it and you're trying to live and, you know, how the government or people expect you to live like that. <clears throat> you know, it, it, it's not, it's not viable, you know, but mm. because we moved in together, then we had to. Mm. So we were down a payment, like, you know what I mean? You two kids in a house. So you have two kids at 21. Your first sentence was at 18, yeah? So... Was that like a revolving door kind of thing? You were, were you constantly in and out? Yeah, you know, um, you know, f- 56 convictions, right? That's not actually a lot. I'm 51 years of age, you know what I mean? So I've worked with people in the past that were up over 130. Believe it. See the just paper, heard him out here real quick because when he says he has 56 convictions and it's not a lot, heard him out yeah. here because it'll make sense in a minute. Now, Don't one thing I want to touch on as well is because you see these things in the, when they're broadcasting the media mm. and it'd be like such and such a person done this and they have 100 and something convictions and people are always quick to like, what did you expect? Is that many convictions? Yeah. But something we touched on before is you very rarely would get arrested in Ireland and get charged with one thing. Yeah. It's always like an acu- accumulation of things. So yeah. your drunken disorderly is also disturbing the peace. It's also criminal damage. It's also resisting arrest. Even though a cop could have come out and just put handcuffs on you. Yeah. Before you know it, you four or five charges up against you. And yeah. then that spirals and snowballs. Five becomes ten, ten becomes twenty, and next of all you've over hundred charges. It's like I said around when I got to six months, like but that was like I got done for breaking an entry, you know, I got done for possession of stolen property, and uh, done for selling it. Like there was loads of things I got done for criminal damage. Um there was loads of different charges so in that one charge. Yeah, that. I think I think on that one I had five charges, and mm. then I remember getting done for uh, a car and uh, it was a road car. I was out jogging and Mate of mine flew by, flew them in Fairview in a car. Just go on, get in. So we got in anyway. Uh, a bit lazy, didn't want to jog home, I suppose. <laughs> but we got in anyway. And uh, they all jumped out. And I was just only going to drive this back to my house, you know what I mean? With a crack, you know what I mean? All of a sudden, bottles on behind me, picked up a chase. And I'm not into cars. I'm not, I was never into rob cars. It was the first one I was in. And they knew that. I didn't actually get a sentence for that because they knew I got a suspended sentence. But um, guards had seen me out jogging. 
knew I was out jogging, you know what I mean? Because they actually slagging me going down the Malahide Road. And then I ended up <laughs> in the car on the, on the way back because there's a lads in Fairview in it. But um, like that, I got done with dangerous driving on, the, on certain roads. I think of three or four roads, not indicating on this road. Um, criminal damage, even though I didn't rob it. You know what I mean? Uh, allowing myself to be carried as a passenger and then being the driver and all. With 11 charges out of that. So those two charges alone racked up 16 charges. So that's explaining what we meant by when he says I have 56 charges and I'm 51 years of age. That's what we mean. It's not 50, 56 or whatever, different times. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He's picking up 11 in one and five in the other. So, yeah. And then back to what you were saying before we jumped in there, nipped mm-hmm. in the boat there. So you were saying you have that amount of charges, fill us in then. You were talking about... You mentioned something after that. What did he mention after that then? The charge before we jumped in, I said... You were talking about the... Revolving the, the revolving door. Door yeah, 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 yeah. So look, I was in and out, in and out, in and out. You know, as I said, there was no real services. Even even in prison, right, the probation and welfare service. Now, they've taken welfare over and it's just probation service now, but thank God they're moving back to the welfare side of it as well. But in prison, you couldn't put your name down with that. You'd be slaughtered. Do you know what I mean? People say, see the vinnies, or, you know, uh, <coughs> see the welfare. You know what I mean? So... There wasn't that capacity or, you know, room or space to go and say, listen, this is what I'm struggling with and, you know, when I get out, I, you know, I can't read, I can't write, I can't do this, I can't do that. A lot of people find themselves in that position. So when they're coming back out, you know, you've just taken them out of society. It's just like taking the washing out, putting it on the line, taking it back off the line and putting it back in the washing machine. It's just the same cycle mm. all the time. The, the, there was nothing else, you know what I mean? Someone needed to take it out and fucking air it or put it on the rads you know what I mean, and give her a chance to dry out, you know, so that wasn't there, and them services wasn't there, I suppose, because of who I became, um, and the people I knew, and the people that knew me, and, and the stuff that I'd done, I kind of carved out and named myself, so I was all right to go to school, in there, I was all right to go and do school, and do training, and acting, and all that kind of stuff, you know what I mean, because people wouldn't say anything to me, so, although I was terrified, me, name and reputation kept me safe so you know battling down with do we hold on to this you know what i mean that keeps me safe because remember like when you challenge me i go back to being that six seven eight nine year old child mm-hmm. you know what i mean uh, and i'm afraid you know um it doesn't have that power over me now today like you know but then it did you know mm. so i walking around uh, prison landing and you know, the, you hear the <coughs> you hear the officers coming in the morning, you know what I mean? They're, they're doing the roll call and the first lock comes off, you know what I mean, before the, the class man comes around, you know, and uh, you're down, the best top goes on, the woman, woman beat her and you're down, you're on the chair and you're, you're doing your dips and down your press-ups and you're like this walking out and you have a piss pot in this hand and a bucket in this hand which you're, you're washing it and you're walking down the landing like that. You know what I mean? It's all like the big peacock. You know what I mean? Mm. It's, it's all, it's all a hard man persona kind of thing. Yeah, I'm not even gonna walk out and tell you I need a fucking hug. Yeah, that I'm after being thinking of me bleeding. My granddad's at the dying last night, and I was actually crying. Do you know what I mean? Did you enjoy that, the reputation? You see, for me, it was the difference between enjoying it and just it becoming and needing you, like, yeah. right? Just becoming you for. A specific reason. I knew at the age of 25, I wanted to stop. I knew, I went to the school in Mount Joy and I said, I want to get educated. 
I want to read and write. I was out in the yard wanting, and I was only saying this the other day with someone, and someone started telling me about something they done, right? And wanting around the yard and the war stories are going, you know what I mean? What they told me I done, and they were telling me they done it. They were taking ownership of this thing that was done, right? And uh, I just looked at me, mate, and I gave him a don't say anything, you know what I mean? And I went around, and I just went around and I said, what fucking bullshit? And I remember it brought me back then. I was in, a few of the lads were with me. We were, we were down in, in place collecting money that I was out and uh, went in to get a haircut. The two lads are sitting behind me and I'm sitting to get my haircut in the mirror. And the man's talking, is that from Dublin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My house is down here. Ah, oh, nothing. So the lads say, it's going out. So the lads are outside smoking hash. So the man says, oh, the lads smoking hash now. He says, yeah, yeah. He says, I'm going to get a drag of it. And all of the young barbers and all, she says, yeah. And everyone goes, Jeez, that's, that's good bleeding hash. He said, it's like the hash that's down here. He says, uh, there's a fella from Dublin, he said, uh, selling it, he runs the place down here. So the conversation was going on, I'm just listening to him and all. He says, where are you from? And all, it's by the Kulak area up there. Jeez, you're not wearing hard, he says. <laughs> the lads are back in, sitting down at this stage, and he made like this, right, because this has happened a couple of times, right? We've had people threaten people with me and all. Yeah. I knew nothing about what was being going on, right? And, Head's going down like this, and I sit down. I says, yeah. and uh, no, I said, Do you know him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He runs the show down here. He says, yeah, I get me hash up and all. I says, Oh, yeah, I says, Isn't it nice hash? He says, Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, But you wouldn't fuck with him. And I'm sitting there in the chair. This this clown hasn't a clue who I am. I've never met him before in my life. Right, first time ever in his hairdressers. And this is in this is in County Loud. And then I experienced that in the prison. And I was like, What fucking bullshit? What mm -hmm. false. <coughs> Bullshit, uh, am I living in? You know, so I realised, I walked out of the yard that day and I, and I consciously said, and I always say to people, I made a decision that day, I wasn't going to save time anymore, time was going to save me. And I got educated in prison. I started to get education in prison. My GAA coaching licence was done in prison. It wasn't done outside the GAA pitch, it was done inside in the tarmac. My FAI coaching set, the licence I have, was done in prison. My NCFE was done in prison. Railway constructor and all, gym instructor. I done all that in prison. Then I upskilled when I got out of prison. Do you know what I mean? Um, so I knew, yeah, like that, I wanted to change. But it was hard. Do you know what I mean? Um, because you're doing sentences and stuff and <coughs> it didn't just stop. Because again, I got Yeah, because you wanted to get out. You wanted to say, oh yeah, go ahead. You still have to deal with the sentence. Still have to deal with the sentence, like, you know what I mean? And then it's like, <clears throat> very violent so I done the AVP courses when I was in prison today with me anger issues you know um, so that's where my violence comes from it doesn't come from a place of wanting to be a hard man or being dangerous it comes from a place of anger of what happened to me trauma you know what I mean I go back to that trauma you know what I mean um, but I, that, that hasn't you know surfaced in years like you know what I mean I, I, I don't allow it control me anymore you know because um, it just sent me down a, a, an awful route like you know, um, <clears throat> if I'd have had the ability back then or the services to be able to talk to people and go and say what was going on, me, I just trust one person, I, I'd have done it. If I'd have known now today what works for me and what, what's working for other people. Well, we always say <coughs> back then it was a huge problem for people like yeah. yourself because there was no, you weren't too, you know, you wanted to talk about like that. You wanted to be the man's man. It's a male macho environment. Do you know what I mean? There was egos. There was, and yeah. there's still egos today, you know. Yeah. But we're walking and we're getting better. But back then, nobody fucking talked. I have no that. problem today telling you that I, when I'm vulnerable or being vulnerable. I've yeah. no problem getting emotional. 
He ran from all that stuff. Exactly. Big men don't cry, do they? Big men do fucking cry. Exactly. The hard men out there was the likes of my father and the other fathers that went out and worked two and three jobs to put food on the table and get us through school. Exactly. They're the hard men. All the all the all the hard men are, you know, wearing overcoats, wooden overcoats, in the, in the ground pushing up daisies. <clears throat> Telling you. I agree with you there to an extent. Yeah, but I do agree with you. Yeah, but that's all I'm saying. We are getting better at it in today's age, you know, and that's, yeah. that's why we need to talk more and talk about this type of thing and show that people can change and, you know, yourself. So, so then, talk to us then. Life was going on then. So you, you, how long was that prison sentence you were saying that you were doing? When you were 25, when you realised? Yeah, I was five, I think. Five, yeah, stretch. Yeah. Um, so just... Time went on and I remember getting out and walking out the North Circular Road. I was heading out the family and somewhere here in Ballybuck and met up a few of them and I was walking out. I was going over the canal bridge into Ballybuck and I just looked up and the sun was shining on Crow Park. It was coming up and shining on Crow Park. It was getting to redeveloped at the time. That's how long ago it was. And uh, he was only knocking it down at the time. And I just said... Fuck this," he said. Oh, "I'm just gonna. I'm just becoming a part of the rat race. I just want a job. I just want to live normal. I don't want to be fucking, you know, having weapons all around my house or having people fucking watching with walkie-talkie streaming, having walkie-talkie in the house or we're gonna get shot or guards coming in, you know. Um, <clears throat> so you've all that trauma. You're adding to all that trauma. You know what I mean? And then you're bringing it to your loved ones as well. And your but Wayne, I'm glad well. you're saying that now because these. That's the type of thing, right, when you're trying to tell people, especially family and, and people you care about, why you shouldn't go into that game. We're not telling you not to go into that because, oh, you're selling drugs, you might owe someone money. It goes down so much deeper than that, like the, the trouble you're putting on your family, the worry walking down the road. Drugs intimidation, that, you know, I think that was done there a while ago. And uh, <clears throat> I'm giving an interview for it and all. And just even thinking back, me, stuff I done, I was, a, I was a bit wild, you know, um, pulling people out of houses in front of their, their family members and all. That's horrific fucking stuff, like. Yeah. I can only imagine if that happened today, one of my kids getting pulled out of the house and, and I'm there, like, you know. So, people need to think about other people. It's not just about you and wearing the fucking Canadian goose. It's the, the trauma and it's the shame and the guilt of your ma going to the shops and now people are looking at her because of what you're doing. Not what your man's doing, what you're doing. Mm. You know, um, that's hard. And then waiting on that, knocking the door and all, you know, like that's savage stuff. Like that's, that affects people's mental health. Mm. And we live know? in small communities as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. People see, and the way things are done, like, do you know what I mean? People see people coming in out of the houses. People see the guard hanging around the door. Oh, people going, living, guard are going through the gap and stuff. I was in a place there a while ago, a good few years ago, and... I knew what time, what was getting, who was getting it, what it was delivered, where it was going, what was getting done, and then where it was being pushed off to. And that was me just living on a road. Yeah. So if I could suss that, people know what's going on. Mm. Do you know what I mean? People yeah. know what's going on, you know. Um, and your, your man could have a great relationship with neighbours and you just fuck all that up. Mm. Yeah. But you know it's, what I mean? it's deeper than that. It's not it's just about playing, buying drugs and selling drugs. It's not that it's easy. A lot deeper. There's a, a lot, lot wider. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There's a always someone wider. watching. There's always someone. There's always something going on in the background. It's I'm never the just victim. This. People think you can just go out, buy an ounce, sell the ounce, make profit, buy another ounce. 
go bigger and bigger and that's grand Jamaica money she have that that. Fella. that's how easier it is that's the case we'd all be doing it yeah well look even you know I, I like to peel stuff back to its to its roots so you you doing it. I know I've done that stuff you know what I mean yeah. and I've got stuff in from other countries and all but I've also over the years then been involved in stuff where kids were being used in them countries to to process the stuff that I have here. So, you know, even for the people that are out and, you know, socially snorting coke at the weekend, yeah. you know, that have jobs and families. And they're ethical. Does they, they think yeah. they're doing no wrong because they're not selling it. They're not involved in the drugs or the, the gangs or stuff like that. They're buying it. So they're buying it off a drug gang. So every drug gang then is buying guns, buying bullets, right? So you're funding and feeding that. You're actually feeding that. You're funding that. And then it's like, it has to get shipped in. So you see all these people, couriers and all, getting caught, stuff busting open in them and dying. Girls doing 10 years in, in, in the Doka Centre for, for bringing stuff in because you're probably the mad lifestyle where they are, trying to get out of it, you know, all that. And then if you, if you bring it back again, you've all these kids delivering it and running around or standing in it, you know what I mean? And they're all out of heads on it, not even knowing what's going on. So... The impact is massive. It doesn't stop with you or the drug. Because I do see people, I start killing one another. No, no. We as a society have a responsibility yeah. in that stuff. I don't care what anyone says, you know what I mean? Um, I realise I had a part to play in that. And it's why I do what I do today. You know what I mean? It's why I'm in recovery today. It's why I help those that come behind me. Because I don't think people should have to go through that. And I do it to help wider society and their families. Like, I work as a youth justice worker, as you know, in, in Dublin's inner city. And the parents have said to me, even today, like, two parents, like, can't believe the change in them and this, that, and the other. And the gratitude, I was leaving. Although I've done good work with that, with that, with that young person, and that young person is, is doing great, the impact that that's had to happen on that family is massive. And they, they, they can't understand it, you know what I mean? And, and, the, and the turnaround, like, so it also brings me back to, when I was out there active and doing what I was doing, my family were doing that with me. When I was suffering from drug addiction, my family was suffering from drug addiction. So I know today, because I'm in recovery and I have a good life, my family have peace of mind. Well, that's what we, we, we talk about all the time, like with people in addiction. It's not just them that's suffering, no. the whole family is. But then, in recovery, it's the complete opposite. The thing about addiction is, one of the two driving forces behind addiction is selfishness and fear. Selfishness and fear, but also for me and for people out there, like you know, <clears throat> pain is inevitable. Right? Pain is inevitable, but the, to 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 live with it is a choice. Do you know what I mean? To suffer, it, that that's a choice. You know, um, pain is always going to happen, but. It's how you deal with it then, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, suffer, suffering is optional. <laughs> Basically, it's, it's optional. So when I suffer, my loved ones suffer, my friends suffer, my job suffers, the people I work with and work for suffer. You know what I mean? Um, it's not just about me today, and that's what I think people need to realise, and society need to realise. It's not just about, ah, sure, they're only bleeding addicts or they're killing one another. We have a responsibility. I always say, you want to you wanna judge your society, have a look at your mental health system and your criminal justice system. I was only reading the out there the other day, they wanted to build that Taunton Hall for 2,200 prisoners. 
you've already like I think the capacity of four thousand prisoners. So what are we saying? I oh, we're just gonna lock more people up. Fifty one million. Can you imagine the services you would get, the interventions and preventative stuff that you're putting in place for fifty one million? They're still paying security guards out there a thousand thousand a week to security firms since twenty sixteen. Do you know what I mean? That was bought in 2005 and they're saying they've nowhere to do social housing, nowhere to build houses, you know, because it's not about homeless. Why? And addicts, why is there no money putting in them service? Because they don't translate into votes. Addicts don't vote. Homeless people don't vote. There's not enough addicts to, you know, <coughs> change the demographic and there's not enough homeless to change the demographic. So they don't know. You look at COVID, millions, they're to pulling millions out of their arse right, to do whatever. Why? Because COVID is airborne, can be transferred, can land on the doorstep. The addict and the homeless person doesn't land on the doorstep. Mm-hmm. So, you can pull money out when they need it, you know. Yeah. So when you were talking about when you got out and you wanted to join the rat race, you realised this whole fucking hard man criminal act was a fugazi. Where'd you go from there? Home. <laughs> <laughs> I just like I said there wasn't it was hard do you know what I mean to break away from that because it was all that fear of being hurt and being walked on you know what I mean all of a sudden here you have this fella that's doing this that and the other and all of a sudden now he wants to, to walk and all so like the, there was a whole process that had to happen you know what I mean Um you know, age, time and maturity, you know, uh, opportunities, you know, um, all that had to kind of fall into place as well, you know. Um, I know you had to be willing to do it and go looking for it. And then when I did that, what I needed and the services and the support needed to be there as well, which wasn't. So it was another good number of years before I actually turned it around, like, you know what I mean? Um, the last time I walked out of the gates of prison was 2005. So, when did you get out and realise I wanted it to change? What what year? I wanted it to. I wanted to change in prison. Mm. You know what I mean. I wanted to change in nineteen ninety four. I wanted. I wanted this to change. That then when I walked out of prison in two thousand and five, I was like, this has to fucking change. Like you know, and it was a slow process. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you it was all spiritual. And I stopped doing X, Y, and Z very quickly it was a de-escalation like I said I started yeah. started big yeah. one step at a time <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah. and, I, and I kind of you know I stopped the, the big stuff and it kind of came down and I went through a terrible phase right of uh, going to a garage and get 30 euros worth of petrol right and I take 30 euros worth of sweets and jellies and fucking chocolates and sandwiches because society owed me that was the mindset I had as an addict mm-hmm. your fault and your fault I used it wasn't mine no ownership. When did you start using it? We started using, when you say using, so I would have dabbled with drink and hash and stuff, you know what I mean? The drink probably from <coughs> the age of about 14 um, up and then messing around with hash and stuff like that. Solvents, you know, Tipex tinners, you know, acid then would have come into the equation. Um, and the whole e-scene kind of kicked off then in the early 90s as well. And just kind of, there was just a, a steady progression. Do you know what I mean? From one to the other to the other. Like I said, society is fluid. So is the drug culture. You look at the drug culture now. 
most people present the say it was polysubstance use, so it's crack, you know what I mean, and drink and tablets and all. Now we have these balloons and all that, 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 that are whacking the canisters into them. Very few people come to the services now with heroin addictions. Society changes, drugs change, you know what I mean? So then we had an epidemic of heroin in, you know, the late 80s and early 90s. So we ended up getting wrapped up in that as well, you know. And it was like, I remember in prison, someone saying, yeah, try this, get that into you. I was just was in oblivion. And I remember I was getting sick and all, but uh, I remember something going on. And I was like, oh, I'm fucking deal with this. And my head can go to a savage place because of the stuff I've done in the past and know my capabilities. And, and this is not an ego thing. I think of looking mental health issues, right? So I, my head goes to a place and if I stay in my head, that's going to happen. So if I'm sitting here and I'm visualising taking your head off and because you're out there offending me or something, right? I think you're trying to tell you something. No, no, no. <laughs> it becomes real. And the longer it goes on in my head, it starts to talk to me in my own voice. It's the same with addiction. And then it becomes... A reality and an idea and the obsession becomes a compulsion and I'm gone. But I know that today so I, I can address that stuff. So I know like when I'm up in my head, I'm a Tyrannosaurus Rex. When I'm down in my heart, my emotions, I'm a teddy bear. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, and it's why I stay in recovery because who I was, who I am and what people miss is who I still fucking can be. You know, and this is why I do what I do today. You know what I mean? I do all the pro-social stuff and, you know, I, I give back to society, you know, that, that the whole generative piece. But I, I took the, the gear and uh, I took it down in prison and it was like, this is blatant grey. Because <laughs> mm. I started to have nightmares and I started to take that violence out of my head. My head was just blank. Um, I wasn't feeling anymore. Because I always knew I wanted to stop haunting people. And I knew I wanted to stop haunting because I, 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 I wasn't cut from that cloth. You know what I mean? It was a reaction to the trauma in my life. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It built up like a pressure cooker. And I found it was the only way I could deal with things. Because no other skill sets. I was never taught any other way. Nothing, nothing, none of the pro-social stuff that I had about me or skills wasn't, was nurtured. Onto prison. Like, come out of prison with, as an FAI coach. GAA coach, mm. you know, acting skills, you know, learning to read and write, started playing the bell on, started to learn the, the guitar. So there was so much more to me. It's terrible to say I realised that in prison. Yeah, but I wasn't nurtured correctly. I, show you the prison. This is what I'm saying, you know what I mean? So we could probably cut down massively on the prison population if we nurtured people exactly. from a young age, had the, the, the services in place, especially addiction services and all, and mental health services. And we put people that have mental health issues into mental health facilities and institutions where they get the proper help. You know, we walked through service for three years on recent and they'd done a study and we had the most people coming out of prison to air service with mental health issues. Mm. We, were, we were like massive high. You know what I mean? I walked with, with a violent defenders, Jack, Johnny Danger response to crimes that are targeted by Garda Sheikhan at the UEPS Jewish Prison Service and um, the probation service that these are violent defenders doing big sentences and all. They'd come out and we, we'd link in with them and support them and do programs and all with them. But the massive proportion of them that had mental health issues, I'm talking about schizophrenia and all, I was going to say crazy, but no pun intended, just... Mm. 
you know, unbelievable. You know, unbelievable. That's why <clears throat> we call it now for more addiction, for more addiction centres, for more of these things to come play. Because we had Brian Penny on there recently, and Brian Penny has an unbelievable story as well, in terms of going from addiction <clears throat> to what he is today. Academia, yeah. And uh, <laughs> we say every week, the common bleeding section, we, we just shouldn't look at it. But I just happened to see something where someone was like, these two lads talking like every junkie is a genius and no things like that. And it's like, that's not what we're trying to say. But if you nurture someone, I, like, the show well, me... I'm going to tell you something, right? Go on. You're out there, right, and you have a habit, right? Now, my habit at one stage, now we've been in a different position, but there was times where I stopped selling and I wasn't doing and I was out engaging in criminal activity to get what I got. Right, mm. and I'd, I'd probably go through an eight a day, a crack, and an eight a heroin. And put that into the context, you're looking at four or five hundred euro, right? Yeah. Now, you tell me how clever I must have been. What I was doing was stupid. To that what habit. I was doing to myself was stupid, but what I was doing to get it, yeah. the ways exactly. and means, was ingenious. Yeah. And I've never met a stupid addict in my life. Mm. You meet addicts out there, and they're 30 years in the street, 30 years surviving putting drugs into themselves and probably putting, you know, a thousand pound a week into them. And then if these people making comments like that and they're exactly. probably on three hundred euro a week walking. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I that's, think that's, that's not to take away people walking. No. Oh, no the point course. I'm trying to make is people have got skill sets. Yeah. It's just putting to the wrong Yeah, just exactly. putting them into just the wrong ignorance. Thing. And what we're saying, we're not saying like oh every junkie is a genius, but we're saying every addict is a person. Exactly, and, and that so, needs to be addressed, and, and they that all needs to be have noted. potential to do something when they're not in the height of addiction. Yeah, and these people can contribute to society, and they probably want to contribute to society as I well. I got asked after doing a talk right on trauma right a few years ago, and I got asked to do um, the TED talk in Mountjoy Prison. Oh no, sorry, I was asked to come up and speak on trauma informed practice and responses in the in the Dalka Centre. And it was a big affair, meals, just all the dignitaries in and, and ministers and all. I said, no. They're looking at me and there's a few people there from the job with me and all and the senior probation officer. I says, what? I said, no. He says, why? I says, not biting me nose, I'll spite my face. As I said it in the TED Talk. Those people in that prison heard me talking, seen me, they had a face, right? And heard the story, right? But I didn't say anything about prison or anything in it, right? Just the story, and they asked me to talk about it. I said, no, I said, I said because I'm in prison at 2,500. I said, and you wouldn't let me into the prison last week to do my job. So when it was faceless, and when it was a number coming across the desk from the Department yeah. of Justice, prison at 2,500, 56 convictions, seven years in prisons, now, He's not getting in. But you've sat now and asked me because you've heard my story. I said, so behind everyone there's a story. It's not it's not a justification. It's context. Exactly. And he said, I'm gonna remember you. I said, Deal, because I'll remember you. And he came back to me then a year or two later and he was like, You've always stuck in my head. He said, There's something coming up, he said, around TED Talks and all. He said, and we've people coming in, we're gonna bring them in. He said, but he said, I think you're the icing on the cake. He said, if you do it. Now, we struggled with it. And I said to him, I said, I'll do it. I said, but I'm going to call you. He said, you just want me up there to encourage people to employ ex-offenders. You wouldn't let me in to do my job. <laughs> but if you, if you kind of unpack that, by not letting me in to do the job, prisoners weren't getting helped. 
if I'm in there and I'm helping prisoners and I'm getting them out of addiction and they're get, finding ways to deal with their angers and all, well, then you as prison staff are a bit more safer from these 10 people. There's probably 20 prisoners now that are getting saved this year from being attacked, maybe a couple of prisoners. Mm -hmm. And then they come out into wider society. So it's a snowball effect. Yeah, 100%. Do you know what I mean? So every time you put someone down like that and don't give them that chance, if some of the people have been putting me down like that and I hadn't got the strength to stand up, I wouldn't be in the job I'm doing today helping. I wouldn't have the academic stuff I've done. I wouldn't have done all the podcasts and talks and interviews I've done that have helped people. I've had people come to me, we spoke about it, some of the hardest men in this city coming to me and saying, I can't believe, you know, you, you, fair play to you, blah, 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 happened to me and all, and any suggestions or where can I go and who can I talk to? But I don't want anyone knowing. That's all right that they don't want anyone knowing, but they're coming, they're revealing themselves now, they're being fucking vulnerable and they're going to services. And when I go into a, a Narcotics Anonymous meeting and I share my experience, strength and hope, that impacts somebody as it did me. I remember going into my first meeting in Abbey Street, right? This fellow I thought was dead, right? Head case. was in next to me in cells for years, right? Mad addict, but mad, like, but like that has great qualities and, and genius with stuff, great football and all, right? And I uh, walked into a meeting and he's in the meeting crying about a relationship breakup. And I started getting embarrassed. And I was like, why am I getting embarrassed? He's the one crying. But I realised in that moment, like, it was like, it was just someone I looked up to and I, if people thought I was a bit wild, I would say this fella was 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 was, was telling me, you know, um and just in that moment that realisation it was powerful. This fella I knew that was mad and in prison for years I thought was either dead, I didn't know a life sentence, was in a meeting being vulnerable. I'd never experienced that with people before. I'd never experienced that with people that I'd I'd walked the, the, the landings with, that I shared cells with, that I'd done criminality with you know I'd never experienced that before and that was that's what I said there's something in this <laughs> you know what I mean um, being vulnerable allowing yourself to be vulnerable that's what like. we I say all the time about us like we're, we're so vulnerable doing this podcast and like you're saying I think when people see vulnerability they feel like that they can open up because we get an awful lot of messages in terms of journeys to sobriety in terms of things that we talk about even criminality and things like I've that I've had letters off school kids I've had school kids come up to me after doing presentations in colleges and schools and tell me that their father or their mother is X, Y and Z or their mates and this, that and do that or blah, blah, blah and first time they're opening up because when I do when I do presentations in school I go in I do the first bit we'll introduce what it's about and who we are and all and then I ask the teachers to live yeah and that's because they'll ask more questions and engage more when the teacher's not there. Definitely, yeah. Because it's that authority figure again. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And you're telling them stuff and then they're sitting there and I've had people come up and say, you like, you know, you just like Tommy Dad's story, like, but you're at the other end of it now, like how like how you got there and all and you know, kids are asking them what where did you go through, what services did you go through, how did you do it? You know, people are coming up to you and so I think the more must feel unbelievable though, does it? Yeah, at times it's great. I've I'm getting shivers down. I got these letters of a, a group of schoolgirls that were done a presentation in school, and uh, I was just like, I was blown away. You know what I mean? Um, of the, the messages and the stories that they were they were telling me, like, and I still have schools now, even though I don't do because do, I'm full time working. I still have schools and colleges and Malahide and all. They're always on to me. Will you come out and or they'll get on to the thing and say, can you get Wayne out or whatever? You know. Um, so 
Yeah, look, it, it works. I think the more transparent and open that people are, you know what I mean, um, coming from this lifestyle. I've had kids that say, what would you fucking know? 17 years of sentences, 56 years, I was in addiction for 22 years. You tell me what you know. They look at you, you know what I mean? Um, I'm a certain way of working with people because there's, there's hooks, you know, the, the hook, hook for change, like, you know. Mm. Wayne, can you just touch on, right, so you're out of prison in 2005, because one of the things that it struck me, because I watched that TED Talk and I encourage everybody to go and watch it, it was fucking brilliant. So Wayne Hart, TED Talk in Mount Joy, 2019? I think, I think it was. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the obstacles and the barriers that you faced and the Massive. challenges. I even teamed that myself. I said, no, I'm not running with your team. I'm going to call this, you know, building bridges, not barriers. Because <clears throat> if we don't start to pull down them bridges, them barriers in society, you know, what's the point? There's no point me going across a bridge and get to the other side and there's just a big fucking barrier. And I'm just walking back. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to come back over to what I know. You know what I mean? I, I need a new direction, you know. Um, so many, like, I wanted to be a social worker. You know, I went to college and uh, it's on a social work path. I applied for social work masters, do the interview, do great in the interview, had the grades, then they called me up. Fortunately, we can't uh, put you forward to be a social worker. Why? Because you have a criminal record, we can't put you with things, we can't put you in the hospitals, we can't put you in the, the probation service. So, me, me, criminality impacted that. So, there's also that thing out there of you need to be straight with people. So, I'm on a social work path, I had to do a placement on the diploma, right? So, I had to get guard of it and all that never came back. They had to call me in and all. I wasn't graduating. You heard in the head talk, I wasn't graduating a couple of days before I graduating. They pulled the stroke, got in touch with someone, a guard that went through the college or whatever, and they got me convictions. Asked me, I told them, and they said, well, you haven't lied, and you know, they were kind of blown away, like, where I, where I was, where I come from, because they didn't see that, the same Wayne as, as Wayne is today. They didn't see Hardy, they didn't see the nickname, the image, the ego. So they were blown away, and I was walking back across the campus, and the phone rang. Are you still on campus? No, 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 because I thought they were going to tell me, not graduating. Can you come back over? We would like you to go and do the degree. She says, what, we'd like to do an honours degree. And I was like, in what? Social science, sociology. And I said, I'm not fucking wearing a white coat, I said, and goggles and all, I said, social science. And they're like, Wrong kind of science. That's not, what, that's not what social science or anything is. And they were just laughing. So we'd know, we just engaged in the process. There's no understanding of what sociology and, and social science was. But um, then I get through that, get the high grades, get the two under and eight, and go to do my master's. And I'm told, no. Why wasn't I told that? First, when I'd done my application or when I couldn't get the guard eventing, you know what I mean, that I couldn't get placed in a job because of the criminal record. So I was like, what are you doing? Throwing 40, 50 grand at me and Susie grants and stuff. I said, just to come out. And then it was the whole thing of, or do they realise or think that someone coming from my background... Can achieve this. Won't go on won't. to do the masters. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Won't go on to do the masters. I wasn't leaving college without masters. I didn't care where I got the masters in. I didn't care if it was in bullshit. I wasn't leaving college without masters. Then I got offered two other masters, and I took the one that suited me: criminology, criminal justice. Who better to do criminology, criminal justice than believe in criminal? Mm. <laughs> but it does make sense. So. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I'm saying about skill sets. Yeah. So we took that niche and, and I've turned it around. I've turned it into a positive. You know. Yeah. So you got into the masters. I got into the masters in criminology, criminal justice, and UCD school of law. Yeah. Yeah, how'd you grow with that? 
Yeah, um, I ended up getting a. <laughs> I ended up getting a um, granted a, a internship in the prison <laughs> to do a study of the CBHFA program, which is a community based uh, community health forced uh, community health based forced air program. I can't remember the, the acronyms of it, and uh, to do a study of that. So I was like, oh, I'm not going to get into the prison. Ah, oh, you will, you'll be grand. This time, you don't know, goes up with the lecture, goes in, walking around, and they're like, put your, keep your hand in there and make sure that's locked and all that, yeah. And she's telling me to make sure that the prison gates are locked. I'm going through the landings up in Weefield and all now, Clover Hill, and I'm sitting down with bleeding governors that's retiring, right? And I'm sitting down and I said, this fella, I remember giving him a bang of a piss pot back in Patrick's, and I'm sitting there and I said, I don't fucking They don't know this. who you are? No, right? Yeah. And, you know, like 18 back then or whatever, and at this stage, I'm 48, 30 years later, like, so he's retired. And he actually started in 88 when I was there, so he's 30 years as up. It's gone full and circle. I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, this is, this is not, I'm waiting on can the camera or someone to jump out and say, ah, you know what I mean? I was like, what's going on here? I'm really surreal, like, talk about full circle. And, uh, well, I don't like saying full circle. Full circle bring me back to where I was. A one ninety, yeah. A bit of a handbrake there, right in the Ballywalk Road. But uh, now, so I'm sitting there and I walks out and I says, I'm "Telling you, now goes back up a few weeks later. Someone realizes that's broken my own heart. Right? Didn't get back in. So that's. So I don't think people actually realize this. So if you've been locked up in that prison, you're not allowed to go back up and visit, then, aren't you? No. Wrong. Here's one for you. After the TED talk, the director general of the prison service comes up to me, crying. This has to stop. I'm sending an email out tomorrow. She said, "I'm CCing you in an email to every prison in this country, Fort Endham." She said, "You will be granted access into prisons to do your job." She said, "There's no blanket now." She sent me on the policies and all. It's <clears throat> what they call uh, local local clearance so you actually can go into the prison if you're an ex-offender it depends on the prison depends on the prison depends on the prison governor it's up to them yeah so so it's actually up to the governor so it's not like it's not like a law it's not across the board it's not even a policy or an act nothing it's actually it's actually nothing Um, because I know so many people that they got out and Leading the best mates up there that they've been bunked up with them and they can't go up and see them but also now you have to put in context as well I mean like if you know, I got out of prison, or I was in prison, and you and me, my best mate, and you got out, and you're up to your neck in criminality. Yeah. I can't let you back in to see me, and yeah, you, you, you have to, you have to accept that. So and what does the fuck is you getting stopped going back then after thirty years? You have to be now you're going. No, it doesn't. It was nothing to just. It shows the system and, and doesn't just doesn't believe in rehabilitation in every case. Well, the director general looked after you in the long run, but you got the run The director around, general no? is. The, the criminal justice system. So can you go, system. let's say Terence was locked up and I wanted to go and visit him and I'm at the main locked up, say, two years prior, can I go and make a case to them and say, look, eh? Yeah. Rather than it's, just being like, oh, you, you're on foil here, that's a no. It's, it's actually probably done on an individual basis. Like, I have a great relationship now with the governor of Mount Joy. Done some great work with him. Mm. Um, this is who refused me to get in the first place. And like that, that, that relationship has built so much so that last year, Unfortunately, uh, COVID happened. We were going to have the first ever audiovisual um, Narcotics Anonymous convention 
where we'd have people in the prison sharing their experience, strength and hope to a convention in a hotel on screen, audio, visual, and they do their readings and all. It's never happened in an Irish context. He stood over all that. He just said, Wayne, you go away, put it together and come back. And we went, put it together. And he was like, Jesus Christ, there's nothing we really have to do with this. He said, I said, yeah, because I've been in the system. I know what the story is. You know yeah. what I mean? I said, so I know the logistics. and the, So we were going to have 50 people up in the governor's office, right? And Narcotics Anonymous members there with them, giving them the, giving them the, the, the books and stuff like that. But we were going to have, I said, look, this can't just be the progression unit. I said, because we need to be reaching the ones that are still using, still using. So we're having 50, 50 prisoners from the progression unit, the Dalkus females, the medical unit, and the male jail. Now, if you've ever been in prison, you would realise the logistic headache and nightmare that that is to bring all those prisoners from far different places in that compound, and especially bring the female female prisoners over and, and all, you know, um, and around the medical unit and all. So he stood over all that. The 11th, it was happening on the third end, the 11th of March, boom. Corleo. Corleo, COVID, everything, HSA, boom, shut down. But it goes to show the intent is there, though. That's rehabilitation. Yeah. That is rehabilitation. The Governor-General standing over me getting into the prisons to help prisoners, that's rehabilitation. Mm. So but, it's not as cut and dry as there's no rehabilitation. No, yeah, of course it's, not, but it's nearly like the case of the bad apples. But of course, look, I don't believe the system fully believes in rehabilitation. But you know what? It's not just rehabilitating you. It's rehabilitating them. Exactly. So they're not judging every book where it's covered in. And it's probably better that it goes case by case basis then because they probably go case by case basis in in life and There's in society. There's a lot of misconceptions out there. Unless you actually have the experience of, of going through that system or that process, it's like you will hear people say, oh, doctors won't let you uh, off methadone or put you into a treatment centre because they get 50 quid a day for everyone to give methadone to. That's utter bollocks. Yeah. Right? Utter bollocks. The real reason behind it is we have 22 government detox beds for 25,000 addicts. So what do we do? The doctors keep prescribing the methadone to try and cut down on HIV, hepatitis C, mm. crime. You know what I mean? So that actually happens to society giving them, although people stay in it for a long time, it's hard to get off. It's one thing me going in and saying to a doctor, I want a detox, I want to go in somewhere. Or you have to get five counselling sessions, so you need a counsellor now to, to do all that stuff. So there's a bit of time process. You're going away at Bowmouth Hospital, St. Michael's Ward? Yeah, nine-month waiting list. Now, nine hours in the life of an addict can be a long time. It can be a long time in the life of anyone's life. Nine months, fucking eternity. I've seen people, and I've done referrals for people in services, uh, never reached three months. Died. Mm. Dead. Oh, dead. Committed suicide. Couldn't handle it. You know what I mean? Um, we need a lot more services. I think when it did work was like in 1996, like we, it was the kind of forced paradigm shift in drug and alcohol policy in an Irish context. Like, so you had the rabbit report where he realised that we need to walk from the ground up, not in the fucking top down. Mm. No use minister sitting up there, like I spoke about earlier, the pandemic and all, no use minister sitting up there saying, this is what needs to be done. You've actually no experience. Listen to the people on the ground, the likes of Tony Gregory and Christy Book. They were advocates for all that. They started all them drug programs and the rehabilitation and all. But what's the full services every year to be hit? Mm. Funding. 
the drug services, the homeless services, you know, um, crazy stuff like, you know, counsellors, all them counselling services and all, they're the ones where they, they, they take mm. the fund of fund to put it into something else. So you managed to convince these people <laughs> in the institutions that housed you for years that people can change. People say a leopard never changes spots. I fucking skinned that leopard. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't Great just change your spot. I fucking skinned them. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. So, but it proves, though, you know what I mean? Like, change is possible. Giving the right opportunities. Ah, definitely. Timing. No, no just someone services. Correctly. If you want to change, it will change. You know what I mean? Not everybody's going to come out of prison. Some people don't have the capacity to even think along them lines of changing, but us, us as professionals yeah. need to encourage that and nurture that. Definitely. You know what I mean? So, you talked about on your TED talk about your job application process. Oh, Jesus. Don't and, mention the law. And the sections For of it. Uh, the section of, like, do you have a criminal record? Yeah, yeah no. Yeah. And if you said, yeah, go into detail. So, one, one thing that stuck in my head, yeah, Wayne, is do they, is there like a, a bias in there? Is there a six of one half a dozen they do that? Do you know what? Why he don't, it was bad, but we let him in, but what he don't now, we let, that's, that's Does the bear show in the woods. Mm. do you know what I mean like I and how I was able to speak about that openly and I'll never say anything I can't stand over prove or back up yeah that's always been the way I was even when I was in a negative I never done anything I took anyone on or anything on that I wasn't going to finish do you know what I mean um, and the same with that so I have friends a lot of people that come through addiction and recovery end up working in the services because we like to get back and help people. And I have people in services where we're telling me there's jobs here and all. And I had them ring me, one or two of them ring me, three people in total. Yeah, you were shortlisted, but uh, seeing the criminal convictions, it's been put to the end of the list. Another person rang me one day and says, well, I'm not going to say anything. I said, but apply somewhere else for a job. They're not getting a look in here. And then someone else told me that they actually threw me application in the bin. Now, at that point, of a level three in rehabilitation studies, of a level five in addiction studies, of a level six in uh, group work theory and practice, of a level seven diploma in community drugs and alcohol work, of an honours degree in social science sociology, and of a master's in criminology and criminal justice at that point, and I two publications in the European Journal of Probation. So you're overqualified. Overqualified. <laughs> I've had people give me the weirdest bullshit once there was I went through, I rang them and said, Can I get feedback? I said, This is uh, because a mate of mine got the job. Right? Mm. He only had the diploma, with no criminal record on it. Right? And uh, can I get feedback. Oh, I said, This, that, blah, 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 blah. And I said, No, that's terrible. I said, I, I, I strongly think it was because of my convictions. Oh, no, no, no. We employ 8% of people that come in that profile. Oh, I was annoyed. And I said, So you have 92% of staff that know fuck all. I was being smart, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, when you put it in context, so you have 8% of this massive organisation with 70-odd places, 8% of probably 1,000 staff spread over fucking 72 buildings. Do you know what I mean? Um, so it was like, no. And they've since come back to me as well, twice, offered me jobs, and no, wouldn't work for them. You know? Um, <laughs> and I put in an application... But a crack for a job, we're in the probation, subsidiary of the probation service. 
he races you mad. Fuck it, he said. Fuck it, he said. I said, you don't know. Like you said earlier, you know, Shoy Choil doesn't get any fucking oh, sweets. Yeah. So you know what I mean? Fed, yeah. So uh, <clears throat> I put her in. Got shortlisted. I got an interview. I couldn't fucking believe it. So I went and done the interview. Walked over. Grant came back. So I get to, uh, an email off them. And they said, unfortunately, at this time, I said, yeah, 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 me bollocks, you know what I mean? And I didn't read the rest of the email, right? Because it's one of these generic emails, so I had to get loads of them. And uh, it's normally, you know, due to the high number of applications yeah. and, and participants, and we wish you best, and anything and all. So about a week later, I think it was a day off, it was six, six days later, I was going into my emails, and I... Mild ADD, right? And so I, I can get drawn from things or I'm fully focused or I'm, I'm, I'm taking away, you've lost me. I'm watching telly and I can watch telly and I can type a story and listen to music at the same time. It's whatever way my head works. And whatever I tapped into around, I opened up and I seen, um, and if you would like this, just let us know. I read it. So what the email actually said was that they, were, they decided because of the, the, the high... Um, it's competency-based tests, so I got a very high score, and I'd outscored a lot of people that had already worked in this field, and were coming back to it, and I was only outscored by two that had worked in it before, but it was like 13, 14 points ahead of the nearest person behind me, with not having worked in that field. So, it was saying like, um, we'd like, we decided to make a panel, we weren't going to make a panel, but there was very minimal score between me and who was second so we've offered it to number one and if a job comes up in the next six months would you be willing to take it if you're not walking I was like hell fucking yes mm -hmm. yeah no bother about ten days later I'm packing I'm out with the little one packing the messages in and the phone call comes in and it's the manager yeah this time doing the job blah, blah, blah. yeah 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 this, uh, get out to the car I looked around the little one, it's only like three or something that says, I think I'm about to get a fucking job. Right? I says, No, I think I'm about to get a fucking job. So I bet home the car and I went into my wife and I said, I think I'm about to get an offer the job. And she's like, she, oh, fuck, you can't even get an interview. She says, You've had one <laughs> interview. She said, Where, Where's the job? McDonald's. Let's not take away on your walking to McDonald's. I'm like, a master, so I'm looking for a bit more at McDonald's. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, I says, No, I had to ring them back and they always laugh about it in the job they did. I had to ring them back and said, did you just offer me a job? It's only something like a fucking comedy show. <laughs> just tell her, will you? Did you offer me a job? Did you? No, I wasn't even sure. Said, did you just offer me a job? She started laughing. She says, yeah, yeah, yeah. She says, when can you start? I said, Monday. She says, well, she said, I, I can meet you Monday to go through the contract and stuff like that. And I was afraid the job was going to go away from me. It was like walking back across the, the, the campus and the college and all the ring me to tell me I'm not graduating. Was, that's my fucking experience, you know what I mean, with stuff. And uh, due to me own fucking, you know, actions. But, um, yeah, so I got the fucking job. And I was like, how did I get the job? I said, there was one in front of me and someone said, I don't know what happened with the other two, but I ended up getting the job and it was in the subsidiary, the probation service. It was in this, you know, probation structure. So I was working with Jack clients, like as, as I was talking about earlier. Um, and then when I applied for the job that I'm in now, they had actually said to me, we knew we wouldn't keep you. We knew this was always going to be a stepping stone for you. You know, yeah. <coughs> Rocky start with, with stuff like because you, you've never worked and all, but you're willing and you'll do it and you know you have to do it and you'll do it. And because we had this fear 
you said, but you're just fucking like blossomed, do you know what I mean? And like with the lads and the groups and like you're good at what you do. So <clears throat> I have that on a CV now, like, you know what I mean? And going forward and now, as you know, I'm a youth justice worker in Dublin's inner city as well. So that kind of skips the criminal record process, doesn't it? When people see, oh, he has that, but how did he get here? Yeah. So yeah. they kind of overlook that. Because as you said about, about that application it? process, it's like I was involved in that program that 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 in in the UK banned the box. So like I said in the TED talk, so question five: Have you a criminal record? Yes. Well, we spent best policy to 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 be honest. honest yeah. It's the right thing will happen at the right time for the right person for the right reason. You know, and um, when you're doing the right thing. So, yes. Question six: If you've answered yes to question five, please elaborate and give details of your. Box about this size. Yeah. Like, how am I getting 56 convictions now? I'm not fucking <laughs> writing 56 convictions. But what I would do is I'd write the heavy ones, I'd write the armed robbery, I'd write the fucking manslaughter, you know, I'd write them in the drug deal and all that kind of stuff because I'm like, the rest aren't going to impact. And I remember in the job I'm in now, and fair play to the job I'm in now and, and the manager, he said, like, I said, I don't want to be wasting anyone's time instead of criminal convictions. I have to tell you, he said, ah, well, it'd be grand as long as it's not X, Y, and Z. I said, actually, it's X, Y, and Z, <laughs> right? Um, <clears throat> so he's like, oh, so he's like, I've never had a, 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 um, a disclosure like that before. So he said, I've no problem interviewing you. He said, you know, and he went to the bar or whatever, and wherever he had to go, then they said, yeah, no bother, you know. Um, but I strongly believe that was because of having and walked, you know what I mean, within the probation structure as well. So, you know, it was worth taking a chance on. And I suppose the main reason why we have you here, Wayne, is the Get the Message Out program. Yeah, so the, the, the Get the Message Out program is looking at drugs, intimidation and, and violence and to know that there is another way, that people don't have to continue on that route or if they're on that journey and that process already, that there is a way out, that you can always you can always step off the train or any stop, like, you know what I mean? Um, but what's important as well for me is that it doesn't have to be you or me that comes because sometimes you're caught up in addiction or violence. You don't see it for what it is. You haven't got that capacity. You might have that fear, you know what I mean, um, you know, and not wanting to go and do that. So big brother steps in and makes that call. A family member steps in. A mate steps in. We've had people that that played for teams and the managers would step in. So it's like I said earlier, as a society, we have a responsibility to, to help one another, you know. Um, so I think the important part of this is you can call or text for support 085-132-9821. And there's a number of services, especially in the Kulak, Kabarik, Darndale area, you know, that have helped me over the years and are still helping people to this day. Um and they will a lot, more, a lot more than just bring you in and talk to you, like, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, they will nurture you. They will see. They'll even tell you if they're not the right service for you, but they will direct you yeah. to yeah. another service, like, you know. Exactly. It's not like you're going in and it's like, I was nothing we can do with you here, but there's a, there's a prescription for value, you know. Um, no, use. no use, you know. Not, not to say that people don't need certain medications, but, you know, if, if they're illegal or they're street drugs, you know, and you're struggling with it, you know, and even if it's around, you know, family support or the prison, and as I said, my experience now with the prison is that there is people up there that will listen and that will talk to you. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it doesn't have to be the end all or be all. It's kind of like you've seen a lot of people engaged now over the last few years and the stats coming out of, you know, kids getting wrapped up in it and being groomed, you know, and I was asked to go on the Claire Bone show there, you know, around grooming, but I, I hadn't got that experience. Um, 
as we've said, I'd, I'd love, and I think this is the, the 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 part where I get to say what I would love to do: run a campaign of sell your own drugs, leave the fucking kids alone. Mm. You know, because you're setting people up to fail, misery, a life of fucking misery. You know, dead at a young age, in prison at a young age. I mean, we've two now in in, in two or three in uh, Arbistown for murder. Watch that explode. This shit keeps up. Mm. And that's programs like this, you know, intervention, preventive measures, stop a problem before it escalates. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're caught up in it already, we can still help you. Yeah. <laughs> There's still services yeah. there to help you. I suppose, who else? Jay Redmond's involved. Jay Redmond's involved, yeah. Former um, guest of the podcast, Terence's best mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Triathlon. <laughs> Triathlon, is he? Triathlon, what? Triathlon. Triathlon, no, not Triathlon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, look, and everyone, as I said, has their own skill sets, and I'm sure Jay could do stuff like that if people wanted to get involved. I don't know what he actually does, like you know what I mean. But I would envisage that you know he could get together. We've had him on the podcast before. One Stories. of these services yeah. could yeah. you know um, bring him in to do workshops or you mm. know, training sessions or whatever. You know what I mean? And um, with people, sometimes even just about the story, the amount of services now that. And people I've I've had on to me that have used. I've just seen your TED talk today and work, you know. So um, there is stuff out there that you can do. And I, I think having that lived experience and knowing there's a way out and having, you know, having living the proof evidence, sitting here in front of the us. evidence, like you know, um, like I used to think, oh, you, oh, you need to have you know evidence that I can stay clean. You know what I mean? Or that there's a way out. I have that every morning when I wake up and look in the mirror. Yeah, I don't yeah. need anyone else to empower me. Because I've empowered myself with the help of services mm, and I think programs. that's what sums up this podcast Wayne this has been very empowering and like, I don't even know how we're going to sum this one up now we, we're going to have to try and sum this up and you have to do a car video and I have to, we're going to have to put a 60 one. second video up trying to <laughs> summarise what's had to happen in here but it's been emotional Wayne thanks very much for coming in look lads it was great to come in you know Hope it helps someone. Yeah, if it helps one person, I'd be happy. Yeah. I look, I, I always say it, do you know what I mean? If if I can help one person there, it's job done because I took from fucking society for so long and I was caught up in all that bullshit. Because that's what it is, bullshit. Mm. Bullshit. Yeah. Look. Subscribe to this podcast for free on the Go Loud album. What you The hip knocker.